This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Um, yo, man, I'm going to tell you straight up. <clears throat> I'm, uh, I might be a little all over the place today, more than usual. Um, and it might take me longer than usual to get on track. I mean, we're, we're, like, we're nothing if not honest with each other. And, um, I mean, I've been doing this for a long time. You've been doing this for a long time. I've had, uh, many a difficult day leading up to a show or I've had stuff happen just before a show that I've had to block out and focus because uh, nobody cares. Um, and, he, and you and I did the show the day of the insurrection. We were live, watching watching it live as we did the show. Uh, I guess, but today it just all kind of hit different. I mean, I made the mistake of, of, of watching the George Floyd trial. I'm sorry. I'm so the sorry. Derek, the Derek Chauvin The Derek Chauvin trial. Right. Damn it. Damn it, damn it, damn it. Yeah, Derek Chauvin. You know, and you know, maybe that mistake, honestly, I'm glad I made that mistake. I'm glad I made that mistake. I'm actually glad I made that mistake. Because I, I think, Why? I don't know that everybody who makes that mistake does it with the intention of suggesting that George Floyd is the one who was on trial. I think some people, because I, I, I know I know better, I think I just did that because that's the name. Like, his murder is at the center of this trial. Derek Chauvin is on trial, but this is the George Floyd. His his life, his death, his torture is what's at issue here. Okay, so I, so I you know, anybody who knows me knows that it's not George Floyd on trial. And that was, that was not a, uh, a Freudian slip of any kind. But I wonder, if, I wonder how many people make that mistake and they don't do it intentionally, because I know I didn't just now. Um, right. But nonetheless, without question, it is the Derek Chauvin trial, Chauvin, Chauvin, whatever the hell his name is. Um, anyway, um, no, I, I don't know if you saw Charles McMillan uh, a I few did. moments ago. I did see yeah. Charles McMillan. Yeah, and, 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 he, and he's all of us. Uh, as a witness who, uh, as he watched the video... Uh, broke down and um, sobbed. He was sobbing. I, sobbed. Yeah. He was. He was. Weeping. Uh, he was weeping. It was. It was it openly was weeping. weeping. Yeah. Yeah. And um, it, it's just been a tough week. Uh, all of us triggering. All of us traumatizing. Uh, all of us difficult to relive. And I say relive. I mean it's everyday life, and we've seen. Uh, interactions with police, fatal interactions with police. Uh, we've had mass shootings. We've had the aforementioned insurrection. We've had a lot of, we've watched and witnessed a lot of traumatizing things uh, in the months since May of 2020. Um, 
but but nothing nothing quite like nothing quite and I, and I don't mean to compare it but nothing quite like George Floyd uh, screaming for his life and screaming for his mother under the knee of Derek Chauvin yeah, yeah. And, I, and I'm not quite sure and, and, and Michael just watching and even going back to yesterday and going back to Donald Williams the witness who had the uh, the testy exchange well testy on the part of the defense attorney uh, Eric Nelson who had the exchange where uh, Eric Nelson was uh, tried to perpetuate subtly or not so subtly perpetuate racist tropes and stereotypes of an angry black man as, as if to suggest that not only is George Floyd not on trial, nor is Donald Williams on trial. And he basically put him in his credibility uh, in, or attempted to put him in his credibility in question by suggesting that he was angry when he called 911 and, and repeating some of the profane language that he used um, in response to what he was seeing, what he was witnessing right in front of him, a murder, uh, a torture. Um, and I, it, and, it, and it, it made me angry. I was angry at home. I was, I was uh, Donald Williams was more composed on a stand than I was at home watching it. Yeah. Because I'm sure I speak for you, Michael. Murder makes me angry. Yeah. Brutality makes me angry. White supremacy makes me angry. So you're damn right Donald Williams was angry. Damn straight he was angry. And what? Aren't you? Aren't you, Mr. Nelson? And what does my anger have to do with this? What does our anger have to do with right. do with the fact? Uh, it, it actually, it has everything to do with it. But this trial is really, really simple. All this other stuff is just bells and whistles. Whether or not he knew it was a $20 bill, uh, what led up to it, all that matters is 929. Yeah. 929. Because there is nothing George Floyd did to bring on his own demise that way. Cause of death, black. That's re it's really that simple. Cause of death, black. And so, yeah, you got to excuse me a little bit because I guess, you know, I'm not sure no. why I'm subject subjecting myself to this trial because, because we, no. we, know, we know what the defense's tactic is going to be. We know they don't have a legitimate defense. And so we know how this movie is going to go. I, I, I believe I know how this movie is going to end. Why I'm watching it uh, in the interim, I'm not sure. I'm not sure because, because it's, it's, it's doing nothing for because, me, I guess. It's doing because you're a human me. being who has empathy and compassion for other people. And no person can sit there and watch that. No person who has empathy and compassion, I'm saying that, with empathy and compassion can sit there and, and be unaffected by a nine-minute, 29-second torture in broad daylight. You know, the prosecution said on the first day of the trial, believe your eyes. It's right there. I have it in my feet. Believe your eyes. And for many years in American history, people haven't been able to believe their eyes or believe their ears when they're told these tales that are, that are, that are nonfiction, they're told tales of ordinary black life. And when it comes to a trial, they come up with reasons not to convict the perpetrators of those crimes. Crimes. Because the uniform, the uniform of blackness uh, is less than the uniform of police officers. Simple. They can't get it, they can't get it out of their minds. 
And so when the prosecution says, believe your eyes, I hope we have gotten to the point, hope, not expecting, but hope, I'm hopeful that we've gotten to the point where we can believe our eyes because that's as simple, it's as simple as that. You know, I could understand, I could understand, maybe you can make an argument that if Derek Chauvin had been in a quick situation, it requires quick thinking, quick action. We don't have time for conversation. We don't have time to, to, to weigh the pros and cons of this. It, it's four or five the seconds. I got to make a quick decision. When a trick, when a trick, when a trigger yeah. is pulled, that's using the. I got to make a quick decision. No, he did not have to make a quick decision. He did not have to make a quick decision. He was there kneeling, kneeling. And he had a conversation. He should know better. First of all, he should know better. And I think he does know better. He doesn't care. Um, That's my opinion. I I don't think he cared. What do you want, he said. George Floyd said, I can't breathe. I can't breathe. And he continued to kneel. People were around him. Bystanders saying, hey, man, look what you're doing. He, it, this was not one minute. This is not one bad minute. This was not a mistake. This is not a mistake hey, Michael, of, oh, well, my I'm, God, oh, I lost go my head. Farther. There were people, oh, go before, you go step, before you go a step further, though, before you go a step further, hold that thought, hold that thought, because I do want to very quickly get to the videos that you mentioned off the top. Uh, I want to get to McMillan. And I want to get to Williams, and then I want you to uh, I want you to continue that thought. Here's here's uh, McMillan on the stand, Charles McMillan. Mr. McMillan, do you need a minute? <laughs> <laughs> Call them such a man. I did. You call them bogus. <laughs> I did. You call them a bum at least 13 times. That's what you counted in the video? That's what I counted. And yeah, she got 13. And that was early on, right? It, it, those terms grew more and more angry. Would you agree with that? They grew more and more pleading for life. All right. After you called him a bum 13 times, you called him a f- That's what you heard? Did you say that? Is that what you heard? I'm asking you, sir. I'm pretty did sure you I say did. that? You heard it. I'm pretty sure you did. You call him a f- If that's what you heard, I'm sure that's I'm what I'm asking did. you, did you say that? If that's what the video recorded, so I did. You called him a bitch. 
If that's a video you heard from video? It's a yes or no, sir. If that's what was heard in the video, yes, I did. And at one point, you said that Officer Tao pushed you. That's correct. He He put his hand in my chest, is what I said. And you observed Officer Tao push someone else, right? Or feel like you, he pushed someone else? I didn't let him touch anyone else. Do you recall saying, I dare you to touch me like that, I swear I'll slap the f- out of both of you? Yeah, I did. I meant it. Right. So again, sir, it's fair to say that you grew angrier and angrier. No, I grew professional and professional. I stayed in my body. You can't pay me out to be angry. The defense uh, claims that the crowd assembling distracted Derek Chauvin and the other officers from, quote-unquote, caring for, our, for George Floyd. I'm going to go a step farther. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. I'm going to go a step farther. Not only was it intentional, that bastard did that sarcastically. I'm convinced that Derek Chauvin kneeled on his neck sarcastically. That was Colin Kaepernick. That was an, that was that was that was an, an ode to Colin Kaepernick. That was homage to Colin Kaepernick. I'm convinced that's why he did that. Why do you say that? I'm convinced he sat there with that look, the look on his face, the smug look on his face. I'm convinced that's why he kept doing it. He had an audience and he was performing for an audience and he took a knee. It's like you want to you want to see a knee? You want to see me take a knee? Here's a knee. That's what he did. I'm convinced that that's what he did. He'll never say that. He'll never take the stand and say it. But if you hooked him up to a lie detector test, that's what he did. That nine minutes and 29 seconds was performative. That was, perform- that was, that was performance. That was, that was get back. That was sarcasm. That's what that was. That's exactly what that was. You're not going to convince you, me. No, but but why, why, why do you did. think that, Mike? Why do you think that? I just told you. I just told you. I, he, did it, he did it because of the protests. That was his response to the protests. In that moment, was, as people gathered his own, his, and pleaded for his him to let him up, and he was unresponsive, yeah. That was his sarc- that was his sarcastic response to the mo- to the movement that is kneeling in protest of police brutality. That's what that was. I can't prove that. I just know it. Yeah, I know that's what that was. So all of this other stuff about, you know, if nothing else, what they've succeeded in, what the prosecution has succeeded in doing, over as if as if this was actually something that they had to do for most of us. But what they've succeeded in doing over the, la- over the first three days of this trial is continuing to humanize George Floyd in a way that uh, the narrative around police brutality or the, the, him being tried and, and him being, uh, you know, uh, his reputation and his character being discussed in a court of public opinion, the prosecution has... has, has brought this back to the place where George Floyd is a human being who was suffering and dying. So much so to where there's, a first responder... There's no other way to, uh, no other way to look a, at a, it. A, a, an, EM, an EMT technician and a firefighter, colleagues of the police, in other words, not just bystanders, not just eyewitnesses, not just children, not just teenagers who remain traumatized, but colleagues of the police, fellow first responders, knew something was wrong and called the police on the police. So they've succeeded in, in, in making him a human. 
um, where others have not seen humanity. And a defense just continues to have as weak a defense, as weak an argument as Derek Chauvin, which is, hey, officer did what he had to do, which goes back to Donald Williams. Donald Williams was all of us except much more composed. God bless that man um, for keeping his composure because I'd have snapped and I might have used some of my mixed martial arts training on him in that moment. But he knew he couldn't give in, even though the judge, Judge Cahill, both with 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 Donald Williams and with uh, the first responder and firefighter Genevieve, I forget her last name. Yeah. Uh, her testimony was also powerful in both instances. We'll just answer the question. Don't argue with counsel. Don't argue with the don't, court. Don't, just don't, yes or no question. Don't argue with what the t- court. Don't. What, ar- yeah. What yeah, t- yeah. What what tell them ask less leading questions. Tell them ask neutral questions then. But OK, we get it. We, we, we'll, we'll play your little game. But no, I mean. You know, the way the defense attorney, uh, Eric Nelson, went at Donald Williams was exactly why we're here. Watch, watch this angry black man. Watch how I trigger him. He was angry. He was out of control, just like George Floyd was. Hey, hey, listen, so, so, no, so, George, so even though, Michael, I, I, I'll and say this last been. thing, even though we <laughs> know, even though we know it's not the George Floyd trial, we know it's Derek Chauvin trial. And I had a slip of the tongue earlier. But the truth of the matter is, and we can't deny it, in America, we're fighting against it, even in our language. But this is the George Floyd trial. Yes. From from America's perspective, this is George Floyd trial. Just like in that moment, Donald Williams was on trial. Blackness Blackness is always on the defensive. Black is always guilty until proven innocent. And this trial is no different. You watch it and you get confused. Wait, who's the prosecution and who's the defense here? So. Hey, and Mike, that was it. The, the other thing, the other thing you noticed here in that exchange between Nelson and Williams, did you catch what Nelson said? He said early on, hey man, mm-hmm. this was never supposed to be uh, uh, a, a documentary. This was never. This was never supposed to be a featurette. You're saying early on. You're confirming what we're talking about. Early on. You mean right. admit it right. three? You mean the first third right. of it, or do you mean the middle right. third, or 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 the conclusion? Like you, you're telling everything that any any thinking person can figure this out. Well, wait a minute. Early on, if he's got time to say all this stuff, if okay, or, or let's say it another way. If Chauvin is so offended by the language that he's hearing, if he remembers to tell his attorney, you said this, you said that, or you can go over the video and hear all the commentary, if he could hear it, then he could snap out of it and say, well, wait a minute, wait a minute, what am I doing? See, there's no defense, there really is no defense. There is a defense attorney here. It's as weak as he is. But there's no defense for what happened on the streets uh, of Minneapolis, in the streets of Minneapolis on May 25th, 2020. There's no defense for it. It's inexcusable. It's indefensible. It's hateful. It's inhumane. That's why Charles McMillan was crying. Because you don't treat people like that. Even if you don't like people, people, even if you you don't don't agree with them, you don't treat people like that. If you view them as people, you don't. 
If you, if you view them as human beings, you don't. Yeah. Um, I want to end the segment on a high note. And we'll come back. We'll, actually, we'll obviously come back, honestly, come back to this. But I don't know how you end this on a high note. Uh, changing subjects okay. before we go to break, because um, watching this young woman smile brought so much joy to my heart. Um, it wasn't that long ago we uh, recognized the one-year anniversary of the passing of Kobe Bryant and Gianna Bryant and the other passengers aboard that helicopter. Um, and then after that, uh, Vanessa Bryant was uh, identifying the police officers who are, and, and the people who showed up to the scene of, of the crash and were taking pictures. Taking, it's been a lot of, pictures. obviously, a lot of grief, a lot of pain, a lot of negativity. And sharing those pictures. A lot of inhumanity. Yeah, sharing those pictures around, yeah. around that accident. Uh, I believe it was yesterday, uh, Vanessa Bryant shared a video uh, of, of Talia, Natalia. Uh, Bryant has been uh, accepted into USC. And just to watch her reaction, watch her smile was like, oh, man, that's, it was it was uplifting. It was inspirational. Anything, any way that this family can, it, anything that they can enjoy. It, I just, it's just, it's amazing that she's smiling. You know what I mean? Like, it's just, yeah. I can't imagine what they go through every day. And that moment of, 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 of just pure excitement, it just touched me. So I love to, uh, if you haven't seen it, uh, here it is. If you have seen it, relive it again. Cause, cause it'll warm your heart, uh, to watch a grieving family, um, enjoy something that, uh, all of us hope to live long enough. I know I speak for Michael. Pray that we live long enough to experience this kind of moment with our three children. So. I got it in. I got it in. I got it in. Oh my God. Yes. Sanity. I got it in. I got it in. I got it in. Congratulations, young lady. That's great. <laughs> Congratulations. That was awesome. That was, I, was so, I was so happy to see her happy. You know? So. Um, you did Jason it. Jason Johnson and Tiffany Cross. You did it. Jason Johnson. I ended on a high note. I told you I would. You ended on a high note. Jason Johnson and Tiffany Cross. They didn't messed up. We got two of America's most wanted in the same place at the same time. A word and a cross connection. So that's great. I put I put wow in there. I, only thing I don't have is my popcorn. I, you know this. I'm just gonna <laughs> sit back and watch this. I'm gonna sit back and watch it and enjoy it. You and me both. Good for us. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. 
we come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Jason Johnson is about to get bumped. We might not have room for both of y'all, okay? Like Jason Curry. I love that on this show, you do Tuesdays, and he'll do Wednesdays, and you have a tough act to follow. He can repeat everything you say on Tuesday, on Tuesday or Wednesday. That's Michael, don't you think? Like that would be a nice little dynamic. You can set the table for him because he needs your help see, talking you just, about sports, see, especially football. See, I, I feel like I, now, I feel like I got to rush to Jason's defense because now y'all crushing the brothers. Like, you're not even here. Y'all just, like, going in on them now. Where, where's this violence well, coming well. from? Where's this violence coming from? <laughs> I had your back, though. I had your back. Thank you. Holly had my back. Holly, Holly had my He understands that it's still birthday month. I appreciate him. rest of y'all. That's I, y'all. I was just, Especially, I was just so impressed. <laughs> I was just was so impressed with, with Tiffany. Yeah. Thank you, I mean, Michael. That's why I rock Tiffany. with you. That's why I'm happy to be on this side of the screen with my people. Oh, <laughs> 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 wait a minute. I wish you wouldn't have said, honestly, honestly, I wish you wouldn't have said my people. I wish you would not have drawn attention to the configuration of this quadrant. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm just like, let's just stop. You know what I mean? Let's, 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 look, we got enough problems on the outside right now. You know what I'm saying? All right, you're right. <laughs> and in my mind, oh, in my, my mind, I'm on that side of the screen anyway. So I don't know. Wow. Maybe I have yeah. Yeah. pigment dysmorphia. Yeah. No, <laughs> we good. We good. Okay. I, I, I need a, we needed some levity today. No, it, it's uh, seriously, all jokes aside. It is our pleasure to be joined, but they need no introduction. Tiffany Cross from the Cross Connection Saturdays on MSNBC. Jason Johnson, uh, his podcast, A Word with Jason Johnson, is phenomenal. Um, and if you're not catching them on their regular uh, appearances, check out the IG Live, uh, the after party. The the what you call it, Tiffany? The after, after party, the after, after show? Party. When y'all get after together, the after party. Yeah, after party. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Uh, Tiffany's IG live. It's always live with her and Jason getting together. No, but it was, it's good to smile. It's good to laugh uh, with both of you guys, to be honest with you. Um, because, Tiffany, you were telling us during the break, you just got finished reacting to the Derek Chauvin uh, day three uh, of the trial. I, I'm still all over the place because I was watching it coming into the day's show. So I had no choice but to just kind of vent to start the show. Uh, I guess... 
just what, what 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 stood out to you? Obviously, we, we saw um, you know we saw one witness. We saw Charles McMillan uh, break down uh, and sob on the stand today. Just what, what's your reaction to what you've been seeing so far, specifically today? So it was really really hard, Michael. I'll tell you. Um, so you saw Mr. McMillan break down, and then after that, they showed footage of Mr. McMillan talking to Officer Chauvin. And he was essentially saying, look, I have no problem with you. I want to go home to my family. You go home to your family. I was telling them to get in the police car. And I don't want people watching the Derek Chauvin trial to mistake that for he was excusing this officer or that he was not horrified. That's fear. And that fear is very intentional. And I'm, you know, honestly, I'm here on this panel with, with you black men. And I'm curious because I know so many black men who I've talked to or tried to talk to about this. And I ask, are you watching the trial? And they're all like, oh, hell no. Like, I don't even want to touch it. And so me watching this and I see how, you know, everybody who comes on this stand knows how to talk to law enforcement. They know how to answer questions. They're very strategic, very thought out. That wasn't the, the legal teams prepping them. That's the inherent lesson we as Black people get when engaging with anybody in law enforcement, from officers of the court to law enforcement officers on the street corner. And when I look at it and I see people standing around while Officer Chauvin had his knee on this man's neck for more than nine minutes, and I hear the fear in some of these witnesses, and I wonder... Um, Because that fear is very intentional. We were taught that fear, you know, from the time we were kidnapped and brutally beaten and raped and just had our entire genetic identity stolen from us when we were brought to this country. I wonder, what if we bucked that fear? Because me standing there, and I'm not saying this in judgment because I don't know what I would do. But if I'm standing there and I see Mm -hmm. this man kneeling on his neck, if I knock him off this man to save his life, the legal team tells me, no, you would be breaking the law. But if a liberated life, if the cost of that is death, a, a part of me feels like it's, it's worth it. You know, like I couldn't live with myself seeing that. And so I just, I don't know, a part of me wonders, what if we buck that fear? What if the entire community surrounded this man and said, no, not today? We're done. Because something has to change, right? We keep seeing this over and over yeah. and over and over. When, when will it stop? Jason? So it's a couple things. You know, one, it's interesting. What Tiffany just mentioned, I actually talked about my, I talked with my class about this on Tuesday. And I brought up what happened to George Floyd. I talked about the crowd around him. And I brought up that whole, that that sort of slavery notion that everybody's had that conversation when you were 14, 15 years. Man, if I had been a slave, ain't no way. I'd have done this to Massa. I'd have Mm -hmm. run away. I'd have smacked the missus upside the head. Everybody likes to say what they would have done if they were Lupita Nyong'o. Everybody likes to say what they would have done during 12 years of slavery. But the fact of the matter is, the reason that any oppressive system works is because people fear death. That's it. We're mortal beings. We fear death. People know what cops do. They know that cops kill people for nothing. They know that cops shoot, shot Atiana Jefferson in her house playing video games. They know that off-duty cops can shoot Trayvon Martin or kill Botham Jean in his house eating ice cream. And as long as we fear death because we are mortal beings, that kind of violence is going to happen. And so I'm one of those people, and I tweeted about this, guys. I'm one of those people like, look, if it ain't for work, 
I don't see any reason why anybody should watch this trial. Why watch this show trial in a criminal justice system that we know ain't for us, that was basically constructed to allow white people to kill black people whenever they want to with little or no consequence? That's what our justice system does. So I, I see Jason, no let reason. Me, can I, well, I ask you, Jason? I, I see no reason unless there's unless you have a work reason to watch this charade of a trial, especially since he's probably going to get convicted and everybody's going to clap their hands and pretend like something was accomplished. And it does nothing for the overall nature of our justice system, which still allows black people to be murdered and killed with impunity. Well, let me let me ask you, Jason, because I understand I agree with what you're saying about we all we do. We fear death. Um, and, and like I said, I think that it was designed this way. But let me, so you remember during the Black Lives Matter movement where they had war tanks facing off against young Black people protesting. And there's that image of that Black woman alone walking towards the cops, fearless, yeah. you know, standing mm -hmm. between the oppressor and the people who are fighting oppression. I just feel like tapping into that spirit of fearlessness matters. There's also the notion of, um, you know, biker gangs. You know, you never right. hear about cops kneeling on a biker's neck. They're not going into right. biker areas, busting up bike fights because they fear that there might be a repercussion. So I don't have the right. answer. I'm definitely not trying to say, well, if I was there, I would, you know, I don't know. But I do think it's worth asking the question, what, what can change? Because body cameras have done nothing but give us a better no. view of watching ourselves get murdered at the hands of law enforcement. So I just want, and if we can't depend on the criminal justice system, because you're saying, well, he's gonna get convicted. Well, I don't know that I can even support that. I'm waiting to see, because we've seen other egregious actions happen and go, you know, unpunished. So I'm waiting to see that. It would be yeah, hard for him not to get convicted. Yeah. I, I, I'm, I, I I'm just, fairly confident he's gonna be convicted. I'm fairly confident, and, and, and here's why. Because you are? Mm. every single oppressive I was system- say, I'm not at, yeah, tell, please tell us, because I'm not... And, and y'all know I'm a, I'm a cynic and a realist on this, but I have no yeah. doubt, I have no doubt that, that Chauvin's going to be convicted, because every single oppressive system occasionally throws some red meat at the people they're abusing, because they know there's a line at which the system will have absolutely no legitimacy. And I, I take you five years ago, six years ago, you guys remember Daniel Holdsclaw? That was the white cop that was a serial rapist in Oklahoma City. Oh, yeah. And I mean, yeah. like, there were all sorts of questions about that. And I remember talking to local black lawyers and activists and everything. I was like, man, he's going to get off. It was right after Trayvon and Ferguson and everything. Like, oh, no, no, they're going to convict him. I was like, really? And I didn't believe them. And they're like, look, no white cop will ever be able to walk into a black neighborhood again if they let this guy get away with raping 18 black women in the black community. There is a line. There is a line that even they will pretend that they can't cross because white supremacy requires the patina and the propaganda that it has some legitimacy to. It has to occasionally give us a Barack Obama to make us think that we have an opportunity. It has to give us a Kamala Harris. It has to, it has to sacrifice, give us a sacrificial lamb white cop. That's what this is. That's right. a good point. I, overall, I, I love where your head is, but I, and I, I think the... The only issue with the, with the comp there is, is raping 18 black women is off duty. I don't believe that that's not, that's not in the line of duty. That doesn't fit with the narrative of these people have a tough job. And then right. somebody was right. out, a black man was yeah. a threat and out of control and needed to be neutralized. I, my issue is I'm with you overall with the system, Jason. Mm -hmm. I, I just all it takes is one. So whether it's right. second, yeah. second degree murder, manslaughter, one person yeah. is going to see this Derek Chauvin's way. At least one person. 
They might get nine. They might get 10. They ain't getting 12 to all convict the cops. Because as much as they want to say this is not about policing in America, that's exactly what this trial is. It is, a, it, is the, it is police in America trial the Der- and the Derek Chauvin trial. And, and I just don't know that. I, I'm not. I, I'm, I've, I'm with you, Tiffany. I've seen this movie before. It's different actors, right. different script, but, but same outcome. I, I agree. I'm just I'm sorry, unconsciously. Mike, do you, you want to say something? Oh. Yeah. Go ahead, no, Mike. Oh, Tiff- Tiffany, Tiffany first. Well, I'm just saying I'm cautiously optimistic because we've seen such compelling uh, testimony and we've seen, you know, the evidence. It seems like it should be an open and shut case, but I just want to remind us, uh, everybody, that the defense has not yet put on their case. And even though this is the Derek Chauvin trial, we know right. that they're going to put everything about George Floyd on trial uh, when it's their turn. They put Donald Williams on trial point, yesterday. They just need they put Donald Williams on trial, yeah. But, but see, guys, it, but this is, this is, again, why, why I sort of view it the way I do. I'm not, it doesn't make me happy that I think Derek Chauvin mm-hmm. is going to be convicted because to me, it's a makeup right. call. It's a makeup call at the yeah. end of the game because they know the game has been rigged against us the whole time. And occasionally, occasionally they will give us a makeup call. And, and I'll also say this about, about Chauvin in particular. Yes, we know every single black American is always on trial when these things happen. But I'll tell you this, just from a pure PR standpoint, even compared to George Zimmerman, even compared to, to Wilson, Derek Chauvin is not a sympathetic figure at all. Like, he, there, like there's nothing about him they've been able to present in this year since this has happened. It ain't, they ain't got no pictures of him double-dutching with black kids. They don't have any pictures of him serving ice cream. There's nothing like that with this guy. Like, they can't spin this and be like, he was a good dude. So that's the other thing that I think works in, in, in favor of him being the sacrificial lamb because there's no story of heroism or patriotism or something else that they can throw out there. You know what? I, 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 want, I want to switch switch gears here and bring up something else. Yesterday I had in my feed that I should have roasted Tim Scott. Then I had it in uh, again today, and I said, well, wait a minute. We got Tiffany on. We got Jason on. They could do it better than I can. So uh, I just want to hear from you y'all. You got some of that Megan McCain Tim- smoke left? You got some of that Megan McCain? <laughs> oh, Megan McCain. <laughs> By the way, <laughs> Tiffany, that was so brilliant. That was so good. Uh, fantastic. And how many times did she say, my father, my father, my father, my father, my father? Oh, my God. How many times? <laughs> that, was, that, was, yeah. that was the remix. That was that outstanding. Was <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was- but Tim Scott, Tim Scott, I feel yeah. like I've been picking on him for a long time. Uh, and so now we can all pick on him together. What do you guys think he was, what was going through his mind where he came up with this phrase that he, that he crafted, woke supremacy, uh, supremacy, and he thought that was Equivalent, he said it. Equivalent or worse, the white supremacy. What? So what's up with this dude? Y'all tell me what, what's going on with, with, with Tim Scott here. So you know, it, it's interesting. I think with Senator Scott because, as Jason knows, he's been quite outspoken on the tumultuous relationship with law enforcement and black men. He was one of um, the three co-sponsors of the anti-lynching bill in the Senate. But as we know, there are two sides to every token. And this brother fell so hard for the (laughs) oppressor. He so craves that approval, that white gaze that he wants, that he is constantly willing to humiliate himself 
in order to get some of that love from the white man who he thinks has bestowed upon him his everything in life. And it's really uh, sad to see and not surprising, quite honestly. Um, look, I didn't touch this on my show because I felt like it was beneath my dignity to even address, to be quite honest with you. I've never heard of uh, woke supremacy. Um, I, I don't know anybody from the nation stick. of woke or has a, the ethnic identity yeah. of woke. It's kind of like that whole Blue Lives Matter. I don't know anybody with blue skin, so none of it ever made any sense mm. to me. Uh, but I think at this point, he wasn't talking to us. He was talking right. to white people who want to find a submissive Negro who says things that are palatable to them so they can lie to themselves yeah. about not being uh, white supremacists or white supremacist apologists bigots. And so he provides them that fodder. You know, there's, there's, there's selling out, there's compromising your integrity, there's bojangling, there's dancing, uh, there's, there's cosplaying as Steven, uh, there's, there's, there's becoming sort of the male version of the diamond. And so there are several ways that you can shame and embarrass yourself as an elected official. I do think Tim Scott may have actually found a brand new way to embarrass himself in public, because this is, this is what gets me about all this. It's not just the silliness of the word. It's the fact that, like, nobody asked you, okay? Like, you didn't have to say anything. <laughs> Shutting up is always free. So the fact that he had to jump in front of Calvin Candy, yeah. <laughs> you know, at the limit, he could have just changed But he had to jump in front of a hail of justifiable rhetorical bullets from common sense people in law enforcement and politics in order to save the people who ultimately will never make him president, won't even make him governor. That's the part that always galls me. I'm cool with people being conservative. I'm cool with people having different points of view. What I don't understand is perpetually jumping on a racist grenade and hoping that one day they're going to put your face on a plaque in Piggly Wiggly. It won't happen. It won't happen. Tim Scott is never going to get anywhere. He might get Waffle House. So, you know, so at the end of the day, you know, there is no, there is no credibility uh, to doing that kind of defense. And I, I, think, and I think it's really important that you bring this up because what we never want to do, and both you and Michael both said this, what we never want to do is give people like that credibility. We never want to pretend that they actually speak for anybody. They don't even speak for other black conservatives. They don't speak right. for Michael Steele. Yeah. They don't speak for Orlando. They don't speak for a lot of black Republicans I know. Because again, as Tiffany mentioned, you know, I don't remember any time in my history books, apparently they were all written by liberals, because I don't remember woke supremacists marching through the streets of University of Michigan, okay, and smacking Republicans upside head. I don't remember woke supremacists, you know, dragging Republicans out of their Alabama football game bars and beating them in the middle of the street. But I do remember white supremacists doing that. I remember white supremacists doing that to a black state legislature in Georgia last week for having the audacity to want to see the governor sign a bill. So when right. woke supremacy gets that dangerous, I'll be listening, willing to listen to Tim Scott. Can I? I, want, I have a question. Yeah, um, Am I allowed oh, to ask a question? Yes, of course no, you can. I, no, you ain't got no time to show questions. It's Jeff, not your yeah, show. Come on, just so, just so you know, hold on, ground show. rules real quick. Just so you know. Michael and I had every intention of completely ceding the show to the two of you. Like, so, you know, yeah, absolutely. Ask away. We're sitting there watching. We're watching. Thank it's, you. A, it's a good show. It's a good show. We're watching it. Thank you. I have a question for 
a Michael and Michael because I will ask Jason, but he doesn't know about sports the way we do. Wow. So my question, wow. 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 My question wow. conflates sports. This kind of slander, this slander, this is cancel culture. Okay, she's trying to cancel me. <laughs> well, Jason, I you know can. About sports than she does. But okay. All right, you can so, weigh in. You can weigh in Washington too. But my question Tiffany. really is it conflates sports and politics. And so a lot of people were talking about voter suppression, right? And it's a lot of voter suppression happening all over the country, but very blatant voter suppression happening in the South and the Bible Belt. But that's not to say it's not happening in Michigan and Pennsylvania, like everywhere. But what I'm seeing happen in Georgia and Florida and other states, people keep tagging me in these posts and sending me DMs and emailing me saying the way to stop this is to have uh, athletes refuse to go play for schools right. where uh, in states where there's voter suppression. Um, right. And perhaps you can take it further and say professional athletes will not play for teams uh, in states that, that practice voter suppression. And I'm just curious if that's a realistic solution um, if that's something that we should be talking about and exploring, um, you know, I hate to lay the failure of democracy at the feet of black athletes, but you know, and not just black athletes, right. really all athletes, but I'm just curious right. if that's a, a solution. What, I don't know if this works as an answer, but I'll try it anyway, because it, it honestly brings to mind what you asked off the top, um, about what if the crowd would just say not today. Uh, and, and, and we talked about being paralyzed by that fear. Um, I think the only way to affect actual change is to affect people's bottom line. And that's, that, that's, that, that goes for Yollywood. Uh, that goes for uh, the entertainment industry. That goes for the All-Star Game, Major League Baseball in Atlanta coming up. That goes for the Masters. That goes for professional sports, collegiate sports. Delta, Coca-Cola, Home Depot, Arthur Blank just put out a statement. Go down the list. The only way that they're actually going to feel our wrath is through their wallets and through their pockets. Uh, You're right. right. It should never be on black people in general or athletes in particular to fix a problem that we didn't create, Tiffany. But nonetheless, uh, I would love to see an an economic uprising like you just described, uh, led by some of these leagues, not just the players, but some of these leagues who conveniently— decided to say Black Lives Matter, because that was easy. wasn't easy to say, right. as Michael Chase said, they matter. Black lives, they matter. It wasn't even, <laughs> yeah, it wasn't even hard. It wasn't even hard to put Black Lives Matter. Yeah, exactly. Put it on the it court. wasn't even hard to put Black Lives Matter on a basketball court in a bubble and then take it off the next year as if Black Lives no longer matter. So it, right. so it went from not mattering to mattering in the bubble to they're off the court now. Regardless, I, I, I think that is something that not only should be discussed, but should be explored by leadership. This is the time, coincidentally or fittingly, I should say, fittingly we're talking about voting, Michael Holly. This is the time to stand up and be counted when you're a corporation or a sports league right. or, 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 or an entity that has the economic power and influence to actually make these people suffer for making it harder to vote, not easier. And I, I think it's realistic. I do think it's realistic, Tiffany, with more people being involved. I mean, you, you old school hip hop fans remember uh, Public Enemies by the time I get to Arizona. Remember that? And that was uh, that was connected to uh, the governor of Arizona who would not sign the MLK holiday into law. They were supposed to have the Super Bowl early. NFL moved that back until Arizona would agree to have MLK uh, holiday be a real holiday. 
So, and, and that was that was in the era. What's that? That was the era before the internet. That was before yes, yeah. professional athletes on on the regular spoke up about issues outside of sports. Now you have professional athletes doing it. You have college athletes doing it. Now some of these athletes have been savvy enough to get their owners, these these league owners, on the hook. Are you for mm-hmm. us or against us? Not right. declare. You got to declare. And if you say you're for us, mm-hmm. then you got to put your you got to put your words behind it, but you got to put your money and your influence behind it too. So I think it's I think it's very possible. That it, that honestly, it, Jason, yeah. before you jump in, Jason, it, I don't think it would it wouldn't surprise me, Jason, given that this summer we saw the NBA yeah. players in particular walk out. And, and it, yep. it amounted to a mental health break because they went back to work eventually. It would not surprise me to see somebody like a LeBron James, for instance. I'm not saying yeah. it's all on him. Say, right. like, 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 plenty of players used to do when in the era of segregation. I'm not going to play here. I'm not going to eat here, or I'm not going to stay in this hotel. I could see a LeBron James deciding. You won't see me in Atlanta next road trip. I'm sorry, yeah. Jason. Go ahead. You, you uh, didn't get a chance to. Yeah. Watch. You, you, I, I agree. You guys are all right because. The one thing that I think about, honestly, Tiffany, is Major League Baseball is the the players. Like, this is the interesting thing. NFL players, you got some conservatives, but you got some real outspoken progressive NFL players. You have a lot of progressive, uh, ambitious, politically savvy players who are in the WNBA and in the NBA. Major League Baseball players can be real hit and miss, right? So that that's it, it has to come from the players if they were going to cancel the All-Star game or threaten to leave. But here's the thing. It happened in North Carolina when they tried to pass that ridiculous anti-trans bill. It happened in Indiana when Mike Pence was trying to make gay marriage illegal. It happened in Arizona mm-hmm. uh, when I think it was Jan Brewer, the governor, tried to, to pass that law, you know, show me your papers for anybody who was Hispanic. So there's a precedent for this. And I suspect it's going to happen because you've already seen, you've seen Coca-Cola flip the bottle. You've seen Home Depot turn on the lights. You've seen Delta say you are free to move about the country, but don't move here. Like every, like Delta switched this morning. <laughs> And said, that's no longer acceptable. So, you know, Stacey and Insei Ufat and, and Latasha Brown and all of our crew down there are putting a whole hell of a lot of pressure. And what often happens is once athletes see that ownership or large businesses have already started to back off, it makes it easier for them to then say, you know what, I don't even want to, I don't even want to be associated with this. And, you know, do I think this law is going to be thrown out? I don't think so. But do I think they're going to back off on some parts of it? Yeah. I mean, like, not being able to give people water in line. Come on, y'all. They're not even masking their intention. They DGAF, okay? They're like, don't give nobody water in line. It's ridiculous. They're blatant with it. For those of you who have to stand in line, and you know who you are, no water for you. No water. But you know what? Uh, uh, and just a tag on to that last point, too, with, with athletes putting pressure, leading the charge. Ask uh, Kelly Leffler how that works out. You turn against Yo. the WNBA players and the Atlanta Dream, ask Kelly Leffler and ask Raphael Warnock. Right. Because all of That's a sudden, he, he, was it a coincidence? His numbers right. started to shoot through the polls, and she was out. That's she's, out of a, she's out of a team now, too. That's I just true. want to see a whole bunch of people lined up to vote this fall and then, like, a bunch of athletes, Richard Sherman, LeBron, whatever, show up with a truckload of Gatorade and be like, I dare you. <laughs> it's not water. They Gatorade. weren't handing out water. Right. This Gatorade. This ain't water. Right. So they can hand yeah. it out. I mean, but 
the thing is, look, we've tried this so many times. We'll survive this. I mean, black voters, we have gone through so much. I mean, they lynched us for voting. The rule says in Georgia, you can't hand out water within 150 feet from a polling location. So guess what's going to happen in 2022? You're going to have a bunch of people 150 feet from the polling location handing out water, pizza, food, care packages, ice cups, all of it. You can't stop. They try to shut us down. We bring bring food. Tiffany, we bring food to the movie theater. Back when we used to go to movie right. theaters. We bring, we bring, all, we bring, all, we bring all the stuff. We, we, exactly. you, ain't t- you ain't telling us nothing. Bring some, bring, bring your own water. No problem. No, not a problem. We've been bringing exactly. stuff, sneaking stuff Look, in. I see people in line to get a COVID shot. Like, we, <laughs> black people don't go anywhere where it's more than 20 minutes where we can get access to food. So that's a given. That's not going You know what I'm saying? <laughs> uh, Tiffany, do you have any other questions or can I? Well, I want to, because can you know, I, I just know, have one your, more question your, if you don't mind? Look at her. Um, yeah. Look at her. No, this, okay. this is our show, but it's your happen. segment. We'll so go, go ahead. Yes. Absolutely. So go right today, ahead. Would... The Supreme Court heard arguments around this dispute with the NCAA. Uh, Congress is eyeing the NCAA. And I'm just curious. I've asked this question before. And by the time I get on my show on Saturday, I want to know what I'm talking about. I want to sound like an expert. So I'm getting my intel here. <laughs> She's going to steal what you say. That's right. Read between the lines. Read between the lines. Will we ever see these student athletes being compensated in a significant way? Because that's, I mean, that's at the crux of this, right? And there's a congresswoman, uh, Lori Trahan, I think from Massachusetts, who picked up this mantle, talked about the disparities between men and women. Um, and just this whole argument that these athletes are essentially workers and, and not getting compensated. So just curious your opinion and if that is going to change policy-wise. And even also that Instagram Sorry, stuff that I sent you guys earlier in the week. That them not even being able to, no to commodify stuff, that. Jason. What Instagram stuff am I being left out of? Is there a group chat? <laughs> You're left out of the conversation, Tiffany. I'm sorry. We actually if it's a group chat, tag me yeah, and Michael. If it's a group chat, tag me and Michael. Wait, wait, wait. No, no. Hold on. No. There is not, no, you're not, I'm sorry, Tiffany. We'll get to your question in a second, but this, I cannot allow you in the group chat. Just like you got your own, the sisters got their group chat, don't they? We ain't in that group chat, are we? Are we? That's so We want to be in that group chat. Yeah. We'll just listen. We'll listen. We'll listen. I have to get Jamel's permission. Go ahead, Jason. (laughs) Go ahead, Jason. You got the first track. So it's it's going, so earlier this week, there was an article that, you know, the men folk sharing. And we were talking about the fact that if you look, if you look at Instagram, uh, in the NCAA tournament, eight of the top ten people, uh, student athletes with the highest Instagram followings, are women. And if they were able wow. to, uh, to, if they were able to monetize that, even just for endorsements and everything else like that, some of these, some of these young women would be bringing in six, seven, eight hundred thousand dollars a year. You have Instagram influencers on campus in dorms making that kind of money, but a student athlete whose name and likeness is bringing millions into their school and TV rights can't even do anything with their Instagram. So it was a really good article. It was on Axios. Um, I think they should. Mm-hmm. I think at some point they may not be able to get full endorsement contracts, but I, I think there's probably going to be some stipulation that allows them to make money off of social media. I don't think you can block that because arguably – if I'm not making money as an athlete, but maybe I'm making money as a fashion icon on Instagram, how's the NCAA going to stop me for that? That's not necessarily yeah. making money off the sport itself. Yeah, yeah, they have to be a problem. There it is. There's a list. Yeah. There's a list with uh, Paige Becker's Player of the Year. 
And eight, uh, and eight of the top ten are women, by the way. Eight, wow. eight of those, eight of those, uh, eight of those names are, are females. But you know, I, I don't know how you feel about it, Mike. I, I would think it will happen one day where athletes are compensated. But I think the step before that is is got to be the systematic dismantling of the NCAA. See that scenario that Jason just mentioned. Like, how are you going to stop me? I have something to do with basketball. I'm doing my thing on the side. I'm a fashion model. People will compensate me for that. The NCAA has language restricting that. The NCAA has oh, language. Wow. You know, I, I'll tell you this, Tiffany. Uh, a few years ago, uh, one of one of uh, the interns at the radio station I worked at was a college athlete at BC, uh, Boston College. And I was going to give this student a ride back to campus, probably 15 minutes, NCAA violation. You can't do that. Wow. You can't buy certain meals. For these athletes. So the NCAA, first of all, needs to have its knees cut out from under it. And then then we'll start to have some progress. But it's going to be a long process. Right. And a lot of money, too. I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm going to do what I did. Think, I'm, I'm gonna think do about the I money. Okay, I'm sorry, Mark. I was just going to say, Mike, one more thing. Think about the money involved, yeah. the contract. It's the NCAA tournament. That's why it's so fraudulent. Everybody, oh, this is such a beautiful tournament, amateur tournament. This is a bit. This is we're talking about billions of dollars yeah. involved in the broadcasting of the NCAA tournament. Billions, right. and right. the students aren't getting that money. Right. I'll I'll, I'll do what I did earlier with uh with, with go back to another point. It's all it's all connected. Jason, you were talking about how every now and then the system throws you a bone. You know, gives mm-hmm. you gives you. I, I think this, the the bone in this case is going to be name name image and likeness. I think I think they'll yeah. win. In terms of being able to monetize their name, image, and likeness, endorsements, that sort of thing, their Instagram, social media following. But I don't see a world, as long as the NCAA is in place, and and let's make no mistake about it, the NCAA doesn't just make money or is not the governing body that helps to facilitate uh, these tournaments and these events that make money for their institutions and their administrators and their coaches and their staffs, their universities, also for TV networks, you know, like Mm -hmm. the media. There's too many people you know, too sucking many, at this teat, if you will. You know right. what I mean? Absolutely. The system is too big and too powerful to yep. ever pay these athletes what they're worth commiserate with the value that they bring to the table. I don't see a world in which they are actually, they are employees, but I don't see a world in which they are paid like employees. I mean, maybe there might yeah. be some better benefits down the road. I think name, image, and likeness is going to be the middle ground, and that might be as far as we go. A, a give, give Tiffany the refrain. A, anytime you talk about if you are pro NCAA and you talk about paying athletes, their refrain is what? Oh, you, you're getting that. You're getting an education. You're, get, you're getting a scholarship. Oh, that, 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 that's your that's your oh. salary. The scholarship is your salary. That's always. That's, that's been. We, that's always. I mean, you want to talk horrible. long before me. One of my first term papers was why collegiate athletes should be paid in high school. I mean, it's like and long before me, people were writing about it. And since then, I mean, it's just it, it's, it's the same old story. But there does seem to be some semblance of progress. The only thing I wanted to ask you all uh, before we let you all go on the political tip was really you talked about cancel the so-called cancel culture earlier. Jason, you mentioned it. Yes. Uh, <laughs> Florida Congressman uh, Matt Gates, <laughs> not so much Matt Gates. Oh, bring it on! I'm actually no, no, no. I'm just hit. Wait, how did the kids say it? Uh, 
It was the Tucker Carlson interview for me. Like, I just wanted to see if he could pull <laughs> Tucker Carlson down with him somehow. That was the thing I enjoyed. I don't care about Matt Gates. I'm just like, yo, can you drag Tucker down with you somehow? Speaking of cancel culture, there you go. Cancel that guy. So I don't know what y'all think about this whole story in general. I'm confused trying to follow who's extorting who and 17 and pay for play. So enlighten me, guys. And he's also talking too much, too. He's already talking. Thank like, you. dude, stop talking. Stop, stop, stop. Well, that's talking. how you know he's guilty. That's how you know he's guilty. It's like when your man come in the house at three in the morning and wake you up. Like, no, no, no. See what happened was. <laughs> like, Mike got flat tire. And then, well, what you been on that for? Like, all right. We can't relate like, while you fully dressed. We can't relate to that, Tiffany. We can't relate. I'm going to slide into bed and tell you in the morning. Right. I don't have to have exactly. in bed unless I knew I already did something dirty. Yeah, yeah. I, I for one, I, y'all, I was, I'm watching this interview and I had to rewatch the interview because Tucker Carlson's face was like, you ain't going to get me in this. Like, when he started talking, he's like, come on, Tucker, you were there? Tucker's like, nah, man, nah, cut his white, cut his white. I don't remember you. He was, he did a full variety I don't know her throughout that whole interview. And I don't know what Matt Gates was thinking by even opening his mouth, telling the world that he and his father are double agents and and he's got this this son who's not really his son. There's a whole lot of really strange things going on in this situation. But quite frankly, if you are being accused of something, the best and smartest thing to do is shut the heck up until the accusations are clear. Then you talk. What you don't do is go on television and say, well, you were there, and you were there, and you were there, and you were there, and you were there. That makes no sense to me. I mean, I think Dave Chappelle, what Matt Gates is about to get. (laughs) The educated brother from the bank. (laughs) If I'm going down, all y'all going down with me. (laughs) He's like, he is a, you know... The sad part about it is, like, he's Florida man, right? He's just another iteration of Florida yeah. man. And I think this, um, the the whole idea of the Republican Party and the fact that they have, the commonality that they have with this weird, creepy, old white guy club where they defend accused pedof- uh, uh, pedophiles like Roy Moore in Alabama, um, where they defend accused wife beaters like a homie from the White House, um, and now you have Matt Getz, you know, allegedly having sexual relations with a 17-year-old girl. And you don't see the Republican Party fleeing from him um, no. because if really this is not the worst thing he's done. Um, it, it's equally horrible and horrific to other things he's done. I mean, he was defending violent insurrectionists. Um, he has a mugshot already on record, which we can see. Uh, so I, I think it uh, speaks to a larger problem about the Republican Party and this quote-unquote pro-life slash anti-choice party who's so concerned about children, um, except when it comes to members of their party who apparently like to date them. So it's really sad and unfortunate because my thought immediately goes to the 17-year-old girl and how she found herself yeah. a part of this weird, gross circle. Uh, and I hope that wherever she is, that she's okay now. I, I just want to add this also. When you're in an interview and you mistakenly say 17-year-old woman, when everybody knows a 17-year-old I mean, girl, that's very I much mean, in that R. Kelly conversation where he was like, what you mean by teenage? R. <laughs> like, like when you got to start coming up weird. with definitions and specifications, you already know you're wrong. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, man. 
All right, well, that's all I so got. That, hey, listen, now. I mean, that, that's it. That's that's a good way to that's no, a good way to shut it down right there. Because no, I'm, I'm I'm legit debating. I'm like, should I just completely monopolize it after? You got another question, Tiffany? Yes, yes, t- yes, no, yes, I Tiffany. Just, absolutely. I don't, I don't have a question, but I, if you will just permit oh. me a quick second, because honestly, you guys, after watching the Derek Chauvin trial and seeing um, the MMA fighter and all the people, and I just. I know that um, black women have certainly been victims of uh, violence at the hands of law enforcement, but I'm feeling a little full today. And I just want to tell you all that I love the conversation with you all. I love seeing you all smile and laugh and witness this black man joy and having a free space to express these thoughts. So I just want to send you all love for giving me a space to talk and laugh on a day like today. And just send y'all love as just fellow members of my community and what you all mean to the culture and the thing, the ways that you contribute to the conversation, uh, I think is so important. And so many people I know watch. Michael, I have to tell you, I have a friend. Her son is uh, obsessed with you. Um, he thinks you are the bee's knees. And uh, he's so impressed that I know you. Uh, he's like, he was on Which TV. Michael? I'm like, you know, I'm on TV too. You. <laughs> Which Michael? Oh, okay. Michael, I, I don't, I don't want to assume Michael. Michael Smith. Michael Smith. Mike my friend's son. Yeah, he's obsessed with um, Michael Smith and Bomani Jones. He thinks that you all are uh. the best thing ever um, and, and talks to me about both you guys. So I just, I feel just full being here with y'all. And I just wanted to express that as we witness this horrific crime wow. over and over. It's nice to see life and, and joy. Uh, from people who look like me and my Whoa. black man counterparts. And I love you, brothers, oh, and I you. want y'all to know that. Thank you. We love you, too. Thank you. Uh, we love you, too. Um, thank you for the work you're doing, um, for holding us down. And by us, I mean all of us, not just the three of us, <laughs> not just black men. But, you know, the, we, we the, what you do on Saturdays is, you know how highly I think of you, how, we, how highly we all think of you, and thank you for that. It's stuff like that that just goes to show. Uh, just how beautiful you are uh, as a as a person and as a soul. Um, both of you guys, like honestly, we love both of you guys. Thank you for racing. Seriously, like you guys got a lot of shows y'all could be doing, and y'all doing ours. <laughs> so thank you. And, and I just want to add, as a Surgeon General's warning, don't be fooled by this public kindness because I got text messages to prove that this is just a camp. This, this is just a camp performance that she puts on to make herself look nice, y'all. I got text to prove I'm like, but that's okay. I'm accepted. Michael knows me just as well as Jason knows me, and he knows. <laughs> I, I'm just, I'm going to see this. I'll, I'll accept the public praise. Thank you. <laughs> I'm sorry. I was saying say, that to, every to time. Michael and Michael. I didn't mean to include Jason and not that love. <laughs> <laughs> Michael <and> <laughs> wasn't included. I wasn't included. I didn't get a ticket in the club. Well, I'm used to it. <laughs> So, sooner, or, sooner or later, somebody gonna. It's been said a million times, and I'm gonna just be the million and first person to say it. Sooner or later, somebody gonna just give y'all a full time show because the hour <laughs> party after the cross connection on Saturday we is, is, is must see IGTV. That should have happened already. But they, they, they're busy anyway. Yet, <laughs> <laughs> we'll keep coming back here. We appreciate y'all. Happy to keep inviting me. Thanks, y'all.
Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed, also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Well, typically the freaks come out at night, um, but they also come out in the afternoon in the spring when freak shows like Kyle Pitts, weapon Kyle Pitts, tight end, wide receiver, whatever you want to call it, weapon Kyle Pitts out of Florida, and Jamar Chase out of LSU both have their pro days today and crush it. I mean, Jamar Chase is out here looking like the second coming of DK Metcalf at his pro day. Um, Kyle Pitts clocked a 4-4 unofficial. Jamar Pitt, or Jamar Chase, excuse me, was a 4-3-8 unofficial. Um, we know both these kids can ball. Uh, I've been on record as saying it. Others have uh, said the same thing. Kyle Pitts, position aside, best player, pound for pound in, in the draft. Um, one could argue. What's interesting about Jamar Chase is I think he solidified his case as as wide receiver one in his draft, the first wide receiver off the board, since he opted out of last season. Because remember, he was the best receiver in college football in 2019. Devontae Smith took that mantle in 2020 in the absence of Jamar Chase. So now you look, you, two guys can legitimately lay claim to being the best wide receiver uh, in the country in this draft uh, based on the fact that one of them didn't play last year. Um but uh, his body of work and his body both speak for themselves. And neither of those guys is probably the best pass catcher in this draft. Again, that goes to Kyle Pitts. I want to connect their pro days, which, again, is just testing. Pro day, yeah. You know what pro days are like, Michael? Pro days are like what? GPAs or standardized test scores. Because not since college has anyone given a damn about my GPA or my standardized test score. Like, pro days right. are fun. It gives us something to watch. It gives us something to talk about. But it does it, it's just as standardized tests don't mean you're smart or not, or they don't mean that you can be successful or not. They just mean you can right. test. Pro days mean you could run, you can jump. Doesn't mean you can but play it, or not. But both these guys, we know that they can play. That. Having said all it's that. It's fun to see. It's fun to watch. Having said all that, I want to connect that to uh, an ongoing conversation we've had this week. And I know it was something that we didn't get to in your feed yesterday. So I'm going to try to connect these things, and then you can unravel them or do what you want with them real quick. But okay. Um, I would, if I were the New York Jets, I'd take Kyle Pitts. 
That's who I take with the second pick of the draft. A tight end has never gone that high. Interesting. But again, he ain't a tight end. He's a weapon. I would not go quarterback. I would take Kyle Pitts with the second overall pick. Tell me why. Or if you can, if you want to get if you want to get cute, if you want to get cute, trade down and maybe see if you can get him. You know, uh, at, at four or five or whatever, somebody wanted to move up for Zach Wilson. I've said I, I've said it before. I'll say it again. I don't think that Sam Darnold has been given an opportunity to succeed. I know he has been turnover prone, and I know Zach Wilson, the hype is is out of control, and it is also real. I think he is the real deal. Actually, somebody on Twitter brought up a good point that, hey, I'll take the guy with, under contract for five years versus the one under contract for two. That's an interesting little sidebar there. But nonetheless, mm-hmm. I would build the rest of the team, the rest of the roster around Sam Darnold the way that he hasn't had. And I would take the best player in the draft, uh, which is, to me, Kyle Pitts. Uh, and I would pass on the quarterback. I think they're pressured to take a quarterback. Um, but I bring that up only to say, now at three, San Francisco, you thought for a long time, or not a long time, immediately, your instant reaction, that you thought yeah. San Francisco was actually going up for a player, not a quarterback. A yeah, a, a so, quarterback. And then I know in your not feed one day, you had actually... In your feed one day, you had San Francisco is not playing chess. So all of that is to just basically pass it to you. We're talking about these pass catchers. Pass it to you, and I'll I'll, I'll have an open-ended question. Where should these guys go in the draft? And if you want to introduce San Francisco into that, be my guest. Well, I do. I do. Because, you know what, Mike? I want to to say this. The reason I thought they were playing chess immediately, immediately I thought it was such a great move, Mm -hmm. you go up to number three. And you have all sorts of options, and nobody really knows what you're going to do. You have a chance of being true to your board in, in that case. Let's say Trevor Lawrence is, uh, theoretically, I, I don't know if this is true, but theoretically is the highest player, uh, highest rated player on the board for San Francisco. And Zach Wilson's too. Well, those guys are gone. And so now you've got the entire board at your disposal, and you're saying you're keeping Jimmy Garoppolo. Do whatever you want. People are going to talk with you. They're going to wonder what you're doing. And then as I'm having that thought, John Lynch and Kyle Shanahan came out and were like, yeah, we talked to Jimmy. Oh, why'd you talk to Jimmy? Oh, because you're taking a quarterback. Right. There's no reason to talk to him. <laughs> yeah, they telegraphed their pass not, here. They have telegraphed they're what not, they're doing. They, we know they're taking a quarterback. Not only are they not playing chess, they're not playing checkers. They're playing connect four. I mean, they're so basic. I mean, they're going to take, take, take a quarterback. And what, what it makes me think is this. I, I, here's a fearless prediction. I believe that between pick number three and pick number, say, 20, pick three and 20. Okay. Okay. There's going to be a player so great in three or four years, we're all going to look back and be like, oh, my God, how did he go number nine? How did he go number 12? Yeah, he went down. 12. Absolutely. But, no, but it's, but it's going to be bad, though. It's going to be bad. Like, one of those players is going to be those non-quarterbacks is going to be so exceptional. To your point, hey, New York Jets, take take Kyle Pitts at two. If everybody is saying how great he is and he's a game changer and he's a unicorn, all the he's a beast, all the cliches. If they're saying that, if he's the highest rated this or Sewell is the highest rated that, why are you trying to invent? Everybody is it's, it's, it's as if everybody has had it drilled into them. It's quarterback league. It's quarterback league. Most important position in sports. Most important position in sports. Yeah. They've had it drilled into them so much that I think they're trying to invent franchise guys when there are other players there. Now, I'm not saying these quarterbacks are bad, mm. but mm. there has never, there's never been a draft 
Even the 83 draft, the draft of quarterbacks, there's never been a draft with five franchise quarterbacks. Now, we think that at the time. You know what's, you know what's funny? You know what's funny? But it's never happened. Not only and not take that back. And not player. only are none of the quarterbacks taking it, none of the quarterbacks taken in the first round, I believe, since 2016 are with their original teams. Like, I think the number's 0 for 22 or 0 for 23 or something like that. What's funny about that is that once upon a time, because the, the old saying is there are two types of GMs, either you, the ones that have a quarterback or the ones that are looking for a quarterback. But once upon a time, and maybe it was with the the uh the rookie salary cap that changed it, once upon a time people were reluctant to take quarterbacks high. Because if you missed, that was your job. You know what That's I mean? Right. Like, they didn't want to miss. And so it's, it is interesting to see this this rush uh, to push these quarterbacks up high. Or maybe they're just like – I mean, look, if you want to throw Mac Jones in there, I mean, Trevor Lawrence, Zach Wilson, Justin Fields, Mac Jones, and to a lesser extent, Trey Lance. And the only reason I say to a lesser extent is because of the level of competition and how little he's played. I mean, they, there's a lot to like about these guys. So I understand why, they, why they're enamored with those quarterbacks. Um, there's a lot to like. I would just say, uh, if you're San Francisco, I, I still love what they did for a quarterback. And I don't mind them telegraphing and being transparent about what they're doing because they don't have anything to hide. Because they know that, worst case scenario, we can get Mac Jones or Justin Fields at three. That's the worst case. If the Jets take my advice and don't go quarterback, then they are looking at Zach, uh, Zach Wilson. Or if somebody wants to trade yeah. up, fine. We're still back at Fields and Mac Jones. But going back to these two pass catchers, I don't think it's a stretch to suggest that they're both gone. I'm glad at the bottom of the screen we only got the top five because they may be both gone by then. Because if the Jets don't take Kyle Pitts, the Falcons might. Can you imagine Calvin Ridley, Julio Jones, and Kyle Pitts? Mm. That's just nasty. Because Matt, Matt Ryan's going to be your quarterback. They're married to him for better or worse. No matter how old he is, he's expensive. I get, I, I certainly get the logic of, of addressing quarterback long-term while you're up there, but Kyle Pitts could go to Atlanta, if not Cincinnati, who seems zeroed in on reuniting Joe Burrow with, 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 uh, with Jamar Chase. So I think both these guys could be going by number five at the latest number six because it's as cute a story as a reunion between Devontae Smith and Tua Tonga-Bailoa is in Miami at six. You take, you take Jamar Chase or Kyle Pitts. You take whoever Cincinnati does not, if you're Miami. No disrespect to, to Devontae Smith, so I think it's good. Give me, give me, uh, give me Jamar Chase and wide receiver and Kyle Pitts over both of them. Just imagine the San Francisco offense if you throw Kyle Pitts in there. I know it's not going to happen. They've convinced themselves that they cannot win with Jimmy Garoppolo, which is interesting. Which is really interesting because... Last time I checked, last time I really was checking for San Francisco, since they've had the last five years, they had four losing seasons. So I don't really don't check for them that, that often. But when I, last time I checked for right? San Francisco on a real... Is yeah, that right? Last five years. Wait. Last five in the years, last five years, they had four losing seasons and a Super Bowl yes. appearance. Yes. That's crazy. And that's the, that's the winning season. Four losing seasons. Yeah, four <sighs> losing seasons. See, it's, it's amazing. It's amazing how, like, certain coaches and GMs just kind of, they, like, they just kind of, they just kind of ride Skate. along. Don't look at me. I'm saying because of your last name or your playing career. Yeah. (laughs) But here's the thing in the Super Bowl, they're up 10 in the fourth quarter with Jimmy Garoppolo quarterback. He did not have a great fourth quarter, but you got to the Super Bowl. You had a 10 point lead in the fourth quarter. Now you've determined that you can't win. You can't win it big with Jimmy. That's strange. That's interesting. Hmm. Michael, I don't know if my ears are, 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 
you know, messing with me, but it sounds like you just called Kyle Shanahan the Megan McCain of NFL coaches. I don't know if that's what you meant to say. <laughs> Maybe I'm just reading it wrong. That's what it sounded like you said. It sounded an awful lot like you said he was the Megan McCain of NFL coaches. Well, I don't know if he blames Jimmy Garoppolo for that blown 10-point lead. I saw somebody blow a 25-point lead <laughs> in the Super Bowl. Not 10, 25. Still calling Mr. Pass. GQ Smooth. Just run the ball. We got Mr. GQ Smooth. Tyler Tynes rolling through after this break. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Philadelphia Eagles are a circus, a circus tent. And so I'm not surprised by what's going on in the franchise already. Carson Wentz doesn't look good because he hasn't looked good at playing football in a long time. This is Jalen Hurts' household. <laughs> and so whenever y'all ready to oh, let okay. Jalen Hurts in the rock, I'll come back. But as as, as okay. of yesterday, I, can, I can't tell you who I root for. We shouldn't even be playing football. You know, the old folks say every time they say, hey, how you doing? They say, oh, I can't complain. And that's just that's just something that we say. I can't complain, but we really can. Tyler Tynes can't complain. My man got him a new quarterback. He got him a new job. He got new a job. Apartment. He got income coming in. I mean, it's like Tyler Tynes is killing the game. It's so good to see you again, bro. How you doing? What's going on, man? I'm doing what I can. Doing what I can. So tell us about GQ, well, man. Like always. we, we, we like, yeah, we, man. like. Like, part of me wants to ask for a hookup, but, like, I'm too classy for that. I'm not going to ask for a hookup because I think everybody <laughs> might do that. But just tell, tell us about the, uh, the, the, new, uh, the new spot of GQ. No, it's great, man. Uh, for, for, the, for the first time in GQ magazine history, they have a full-time dedicated sports writer. And, you know, they, luckily enough, they tapped me on the shoulder to kind of come over and, you know, spearhead the coverage. Uh, it's, it's been a great first few weeks, great first month. And we got a lot that we're going to show you all in the next few months. And GQ Sports is really going to become a destination for the athletes you already know and something we kind of want to show you. So wow. it's time to get going. We just finished talking about the draft. Uh I, I would, GQ just got an A plus for their their number one draft pick. That's 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 a great hire. Uh, good for them. Great for you. Great great for them. Good for you. Just really excited to see what you're going to do there. I guess you know that brand GQ man. Let's unpack that a little bit more. I mean, obviously, no shortage of opportunities for you uh, in this industry, which well deserved. But when a brand like GQ comes calling, you know, for sports writers, a lot of times it's been Sports Illustrated traditionally. Like, what was it like when you first started getting into even talks about not only being at GQ, but being their first full-time dedicated sports reporter? No, it's crazy to think about. Uh, you know, we all read GQ. It is the most iconic uh, men's magazine in the world, right? Like, it, it is, it is. you only know it by two letters, right, from its history from Gentleman's Quarterly to now as GQ. And even thinking about the direction, uh, challenging and, and explaining the new masculinity from Will Welch, the new editor-in-chief a few years back, it is like a really refreshing opportunity to be a one-of-one one in an industry that 
has been cutting away from like the greatness of sports journalism for a long time. So to think, you know, through this like three month or so process of getting from that point now to GQ, I mean, I'm only 27. It's great to kind of see what we can do for the next few years. 27. Man, man, go sit down somewhere. <laughs> I know, right? Like, man, I know, right? Like, just, uh, okay. just shaming uh, us both. All right. All right. All right. All right. Okay, we, we see you. We see you. Hey, man, but look, give us a give us a little bit of an uh, insight, a little peek, a little preview of something that you're working on. Can you just give us a little something? You got to wait, man. You got to wait like oh, everybody else. I can't do it. I can't do it. See, you, I already got in, and you already trying to get me out. So, you know, I can't do it. But, you know, it might be, it might be a little something for you around draft season. I don't know. Okay, good. Well, honestly, uh, let's, let's go back to your uh, – because your Gus Johnson interview, Gus Johnson profile, that was your debut piece, was it not? Yeah, yeah. And we just had something go up today yeah. on uh, this new James Jordan documentary oh, yeah. that's coming out. So, yeah, yeah, we've been working. Oh, nice. Okay, so I'm going to go back to... I read the Gus one. Let's go back to uh, Gus Johnson. And i love to know um, what you learned about just Gus. I mean, I, I thought it was just interesting listening to... Or reading, excuse me, reading uh, the Brian Gumble influence by way of his mother. Going back to that 79 National Championship game, we all know about the birth of a rivalry between Magic and, and Larry Bird. It was also apparently the birth of Gus Johnson as we know him because he's watching Brian Gumble. So his mother's influence on him... The classes he took, you talked about sounding too black, whatever the hell that means. You talked about just, you know, the, the irony of Marv Albert call, calling the all-star game with all the HBCU uh, relationships going on. Really uh, illuminating uh, interview. But, I mean, just you personally, though, as a 27-year-old in this industry, having grown up listening to Gus Johnson, what did you take away from it personally? No, for me it was huge because Gus is obviously this 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 – this big figure in sports journalism, somebody who really works behind the scenes, down social media, he's not anything like that. And so if you come across him, which I did in 2018 at the NABJ convention, he is just like this breath of air. Like he's a bouncing ball of energy. It's really crazy to kind of talk to him. And so in college, uh, I was actually doing a lot in radio journalism more than I was doing in digital. And anytime I would do play by player color, you know, a mentor, someone would say, you sound just like Gus Johnson. And so it was all of us, right? Growing up now, listening to Gus in the last few generations until what we have now. And so to talk to this person and to really kind of hear all the reservations he had going in because he never really gives all of himself in interviews. It's crazy to think that, you know, mm -hmm. for me and for GQ, he wanted to give a bit more of himself, which made the interview so successful. Why do you think uh, Tyler, that he wanted to give more of himself other than your uh, excellent interviewing skills? Why do you think he wanted to, to open up a bit more here? Well, I mean, I, it, it's, it's clear, right? I, just like there's not enough black presenters and black play-by-play -play folks within his sphere and broadcast. There's not enough of us who are black who are within not just journalism, but sports journalism in general. You know, we see so many of us who are in ways shuffled towards sports and not politics or education or the general assignment desk. We can be everywhere and we can be anywhere within the newsroom. And just like Gus had to take those, you know, special classes to learn how to go in and out, weave in and out of his voice and his talent. We have to do the same thing. And so he gave a lot of trust to me and folks like Harry Lyles, who's at SB Nation, who's now at ESPN, because we were young, we were black and we were hungry. And so he wanted to reward that same level of spirit, really. Yeah. Um, so let's go back to how we started. And I, I don't remember if that was the last time we talked to you. You obviously I uh, rolling I with a different crew back then. Huh? I said it might have been. It might have been. It might have been the last time. Yeah, it might have been. But 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 a whole lot's changed. Um, so 
How do you feel? And I know there's been some mixed messaging coming out of the organization about the level of commitment to one Jalen Hurts. But how excited are you about not only Jalen Hurts assuming the mantle as quarterback of the Philadelphia Eagles, but also what the Eagles are doing draft-wise to maybe position themselves the next couple of years to support this young guy? They can't stop him. You know, say what you want. Y'all want Zach Wilson. He ain't going to be in Philadelphia. Say what you want. Y'all want Carson Wentz. He definitely not going to be in Philadelphia. I told y'all in September. I'm going to tell y'all now. Jalen Hurts is a star. Anybody you talk to from that former University of Alabama program to even now in that current Eagles locker room, folks love him. They think he's a winner. They don't think he knows how to win by any means necessary. They don't care about the stats. They don't care about the precision. They care about playing for a winner like Jalen Hurts. They know good things are going to come from that relationship. And so, like I said, man, it's time. Philadelphia's only operated great with a black person under center as long as I've been alive. So why not give him the <laughs> chance? Why not give him the chance? Listen, he was a he was only a Heisman runner up at Oklahoma. That I, I Jalen Hurts. I don't care what Jalen Hurts does for the rest of his life. When he lost his job to Tua and then came back in the very same building and rescued Alabama in the SEC championship game and stayed at that school. That's mm-hmm. all I need to know about that cat. That was it for me. He had a fan for life in me. That was it. No, I've heard nothing but good stuff about him. I know people on his team, uh, you know, personally, the folks at Everett and even in the locker room. And again, even last week, I had a conversation with multiple players who have known Jalen for years. You know, obviously he works out of that Alabama area still, and he's going to have training camps in Hoover kind of coming up this year. And so like, the commitment to that area hasn't gone away at all. And people within that locker room still tell me now that, they think he's a winner. They think, you know, people should go and want to play for him. So I know he's got a lot of respect anywhere you kind of look at it for him. Well, listen, hey, let's go Holly, from Philly what to Tyler Philly. Just did, oh, Michael, what Tyler ahead. just did, by the way, real quick, is Tyler just answered a previous question of yours. See, that's what you call laying the foundation yeah. for when Jalen Hurts blows up. We'll look, be looking for that GQ profile, that exclusive GQ profile when Jalen Hurts blows up for real, for real. For real, when, hey. when, when everybody else is starting to catch on to what Tyler's already known, we're going to get He already GQ told you, stay out, like stay, stay like out this man's business. Stay out this man's <laughs> business. <laughs> no, I'm looking forward right. to it. I'm just saying, hey. I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> hey, but Tyler, I, w- I want to go from Philly to Philly, though. I want to go Philly. I uh, saw you tweeting about Don Staley, third Final Four appearance in six years. Got the number one team in the country in South Carolina. Uh, they got there pretty easily, too. The, the, their regional final win was convincing. What, what do you see from, from her team and from her? Because like, post-game, she was, uh, she was very compelling, talking about, hey, see what black women can do. We need, this, we need these opportunities. What do you see from Dawn Staley in South Carolina? I love Coach Staley. Obviously, she's also from North Philly. And, you know, I profiled her a few years ago at SB Nation, and she has stayed, uh, you know, somebody close at least that I talked to within different fields of, of sport. And so she's great. She's always been someone who has consistently said, control what you can control. You know, take what's in front of you and try to magnify if you can. This South Carolina team is great on defense. Zaya Cook is a baller. You know, everybody in that backcourt is great when it comes to, you know, not turning the ball over too much, but sometimes they fall in love with the free ball and they miss easy ones at, at, the, at the rim. And so she has a really well-coached unit. I know everybody on that staff, and they really commit themselves to playing her style of basketball, heavy in transition and clamping down on defense. So they've got stars across the roster. I can't – it's going to be tough to see them kind of – if they if they end up losing. But that's that's my national champion pick. Um, you know, going back to somebody you've chronicled uh, before, and last time we talked about him, might have been off to a hot start. I know I expected – 
him to have a phenomenal season this year. Didn't work out that way because of COVID and a lack of weapons or what have you. But let's pick up the Cam Chronicles. Um, and now Ooh. Cam Newton, does, that, he, he seems to be, for some, I know not for you, but he seems to be, for some, the only question after watching what the Patriots did this offseason. So I'll, I'll phrase it to you this way, Tyler. What is your expectation for the next installment of the quote-unquote Cam Chronicles? What's he going to do uh, with this, this new supporter cast in New England? Yeah, he wasn't perfect by any means last year. He did have that COVID diagnosis, and before that he was playing pretty well. Uh, and after that, we kind of saw him you know, mm-hmm. fall off a cliff. And so there was a lack of weapons there in the backfield and across wide receiver. And so now you get a bunch of those guys who were already – leaving the season because of COVID, coming back to the Patriots, as well as adding pieces to that wide receiver and getting some healthy guys back in the backfield. This is probably the most stacked team he's ever played for. And so there should be no question marks after this season, really. Is Cam Newton going to still be one of the top 15 quarterbacks in the NFL while he's relatively not really old, but not really young, around 32 years old? And so is he going to be good? And we're going to see the same Cam we saw at the beginning of last year. Or is he going to kind of fall off that cliff as well? I don't know. What do you think? You, th- you think uh, you think he's got something left? I think he might have a little bit, you know, uh, in terms of that read option and, you know, that beer install they did really with that system. They, he worked out well. You know, he found a way to run. He was still strong between the tackles. I think he's got a little bit of something. I don't think he got everything he used to have, but, you know, he's got something left. I'm going to tell this. And he, but he may, uh, not, he may not have to be that MVP. I'm sorry, Mike. I was just saying he may not have to be that MVP yeah. guy given the, the, how they've elevated the support cast and who they get back. The only thing I wanted to say, Tyler, and I've been saying this for a while, and I'd love to know what you think, knowing knowing Cam or, or, or knowing about Cam the way that you do and, and doing the work that you have done, I really thought despite the struggles on the field, and how many touchdown passes did he throw again, Michael Holly? Remind me. I forget. It's, uh, it's been a couple be days since you told me. Eight. Yeah, despite the struggles eight on the field, passes. I really on, thought man. Cam did well for himself Brand wise, one of the things, of course, one of the things we love about the Cam Chronicles is how it's, it 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 lets it get, lets you learn more about the person that people think they know, and for him to fit in, not only well but so well that the Patriots brought him back, I thought did a lot for just how people perceive or at least should perceive Cam Newton as not this me guy, this guy that was more about his brand and his following than he was about football. For him to fit in, in New England, I thought did a lot for his reputation as a leader and as a teammate. Yeah, I mean, look, it's the same thing as last year. Let coaches and teammates and his family members tell it is, you know, last I checked, he is still a great teammate, first guy in, last guy out, the exact prototype of a quarterback that you want in terms of leadership style. Can he be a bit, you know, sometimes to off to himself in the locker room after a big loss? Absolutely. Who hates losing? And so Cam is, you know, at least as far as leadership aspects, no one's ever really questioned those parts of it. The thing we're trying to get for Cam at mm-hmm. this point is, can you stay healthy? You know, are you still going to be able to make the same throws you did maybe a few years ago? And can you play at a caliber, maybe not MVP, but just good enough that you can bring this team back to the playoffs? I think still New England fans should be happy with what they have at quarterback. Yeah. All right, brother, man. Uh, before I let you go, um, do want to just ask you on a personal level because it's been the theme of today's show. Uh, just as a brother, like how are you, if yeah. at all, how are you consuming and – if so, processing the Derek Chauvin trial. No, yeah, it's, it's a heavy thing. Uh, you know, I think um, kind of traveling the last week, it, it was something that, 
Yeah. You always kind of still look over your shoulder, you know what I mean? Like these stories, the ones we're seeing now with this trial are ones that are biggest stories of our time. But these still happen frequently enough that, you know, police are still not being put in jail for the things that they are doing to citizens that look like us. And so you got to have to turn, you know, close the laptop a little bit earlier, maybe not make it your all day thing. Uh, one of the beauties about the job that I have now is that I don't always have to look at, you know, the intersection of race and sports or even race in general, but it's still always going to affect hmm. us. And so. I've changed my consumption habits a little bit. And on days like this and weeks like this, just like Don Staley says, mm. control what you can control. I love it. I love it. Uh, and, and, and take care of your mental health. Well, I, we appreciate you, man. Congratulations on a new gig. And uh, we'll, let's, let's get you back as frequently as your schedule allows. Good stuff, okay? man. Appreciate y'all, man. Yeah, look forward All to right, reading man, it, too. One of the best in the game, Tyler Tynes. Yo, yeah. I, I, just, I just wanted to say one other thing um, about – the Derek Chauvin trial, and 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 I think the other thing we learned, I said earlier this to, earlier today, Michael, just this, how the prosecution has succeeded uh, in reminding people who may have forgotten or may not be inclined to look at him this way that, a human that being. George Floyd was a human being, that he's a human being, and he, they've humanized him, and I'm sure they'll continue to do that. Um, the other thing I think, and this is why this 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 trial is bigger than. Derek Chauvin is bigger than even George Floyd. And while, again, the prosecution does not want it to be about policing in America, it is about policing in America. But more than that, it's about being black in America. And I and I I talked about um, uh, the the exchange uh, yesterday uh, <clears throat> between Donald Williams and, uh, and Eric Nelson. Um, and that was typical, you know, uh, the, the, the stereotypical attempt at triggering the so-called angry black man, um, even, even in the tone of voice, you know, like Eric Nelson was putting Donald Williams and his, and his emotions in a distressed state on trial uh, in that moment and, and, and talking to him as if he were the police, like, you need to obey my commands. You need to uh, you need to answer this question the way I'm telling you to answer this question. I know they're in court. And I know that's 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 not a. Uh, that's not uncommon, but there was just some. There was an edge to it. It was. It was a attention. Typical. There's a encounter. There. There's a tension yeah. there that that. But whether that, but whether that it's most. Yeah, that, that most of that most of us have experienced in some way. Let, let's just exactly honest. exactly. Yeah. But whether it's whether it's Darnella Frazier, who was 17 at the time and 18 at now, and who talked, we didn't see her, we heard from her, talked about um, the trauma that she still deals with. Uh, and how she apologizes to George Floyd now for not doing more in the moment. She has some regret for not doing more in the moment. Whether it's Donna Williams, uh, whether it's uh, Charles McMillan, who, who, who sobbed on, on, on the stand today. I think what everybody should be taking away from these first few days of this trial is that Derek Chauvin didn't just murder George Floyd. He killed a piece of all of us. He, took, he robbed a lot of us of our peace, uh, more of our peace than, you know, Tyler talked just now about looking over your shoulder or just, we, we all carry yeah. this weight day in and day out, not just when it's in a televised trial. And all a piece of all of us, another piece of all of us died that day. A piece of our peace died that day. And all of us are carrying that trauma. And so when they're on a stand weeping, they represent all of us. And so I just want to... You know, that, that thought just came to mind that this I'm is it's, it's bigger than Chauvin. It's bigger than George Floyd. You know, all of I'm glad it, I'm glad it came to we, mind. We live in this. If 
if he did not, and if he didn't kill a, a piece of us, if, if everybody didn't have just a little bit less of themselves now compared to where they were before that moment on May 25th, 2020, what he has done mm -hmm. is piled another uh, another piece onto the the, the baggage uh, the baggage train, the baggage truck. It's just a little bit more baggage, a little bit more weight, uh, a little more uh, a little more wrestling, a little more trauma. And he didn't have any of it. See, that's the thing that just it just blows my mind. There's no there's no wrestling. This tone, this tone from from the defense tells you all you need to know. You, you realize, Mike, mm -hmm. on the first day, on the first day where the prosecution presents that emotional. Now we know I was going by 846 for we all were going by 846 for a long time. Even I saw yeah. uh, George Floyd, members of his family had a mask and on the mask was 846. Yeah. An obvious yeah, reference. So then we yep. find out it's not 846, it's 929. Powerful, heart-wrenching video. They never addressed it. The defense never addressed it. Like, at some point, you got to say, listen, hey, it's tough for us to watch, anybody to watch that, but I'm going to tell you, uh, I'm going to tell you more about my client. No, there is no... I'm I, I, I dare to say I will dare say that this is sociopathic behavior from Derek Chauvin. Mm -hmm. It's it's going through life or going through <clears throat> a moment. Excuse me. Nine minutes and twenty nine seconds without a conscience. Now I've said I've said this before, and I want to be clear on it. I don't think any I don't I don't think any of us go through life just um impervious. We, we we're not we're not unassailable. Everybody has their moments or their episodes. Mm. But you can't tell me that you do that for nine minutes and twenty-nine seconds. That's not normal. You're not nor that's not normal. And and has to, he, has and to gone, try to has defend he gone that, home to well, and even your question, <clears throat> excuse me, even what you asked earlier, has, has he gone home and apologized to George Floyd when he lays awake at night? Mm. Is he traumatized? Is he scarred? Is he living with this? Based, I'm telling you, Michael, and, and, I, I, I don't call me crazy. I, I'm telling you, he knew what he was doing. It was he was kneeling sarcastically. He was he was making a though? political. I am. Do you feel me on that? I mean, I don't, yeah. I'm just, I, you ain't got to agree. Do you understand where I'm coming from? I, I, I understand what you're saying. In a crowd gathering, I'm convinced he did it to prove, a, to make a point. Like, I'm taking a knee, all right. I'm convinced that's what was going through that man's head. Isn't it something, though, that he was all set to plea, that, to offer a guilty plea for third degree? Third degree uh, murder, guilty plea. And who stopped it? You remember this? Bill Barr. Oh, yeah. Wasn't it uh, Bill Barr? Yeah. Bill, yeah. Bill Barr. Yep. Mm -hmm. So this is not, I, I want the, I, I keep saying, believe your eyes, and I want it to be about that. But it's about so many other things here. It, it, it's about yeah. politics for some people. It's about race for others. It's right there as clear as day.
it was it was yeah. torture. It was murder in the streets. Uh, it could have been avoided. And for those nine and a half minutes, maybe even longer, he didn't want to avoid it. Yeah. Another sad All story. Right. Another uh, sad actually, story you know what? On the, on the other side, I know we're going to be tight on time, but I, I might want to uh, talk about. Um, I might want to talk about something else that is on the subject of, of belief and uh, maybe not believing your eyes, but uh, believing, believing what you hear and what you read because uh, a story that we've been talking about for a while just got a lot more complicated. We'll see how we do it on time. Um, yeah. And, All right. Uh, if we could, if we, if we could do, if we could do that story justice or not. Yeah, we'll see. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. So the Deshaun Watson story uh, just keeps getting messier and messier. The number of lawsuits uh, has reached 21, and that does not include the 22nd account uh, that was anonymously given to Sports Illustrated over the last couple of days. Conversely, um, Deshaun Watson's attorney, Rusty Harden, released 18 massage therapist testimonials uh, detailing positive encounters and professional encounters with Deshaun Watson. Here's a, a portion of a statement from Rusty Harden. During the past two weeks, the law office of Rusty Harden and Associates has received dozens of unsolicited phone calls, letters, emails, and text messages from professional massage therapists who have worked with Deshaun Watson. These women say they are deeply troubled by the accusations made against Deshaun and that these claims are wholly inconsistent with their experiences with him and who they believe him to be. All of them stated that Deshaun never made them feel uncomfortable or demanded anything outside the scope of a professional massage. None of them experienced any of the behavior alleged by anonymous plaintiffs in the numerous lawsuits filed by the same Houston attorney. Uh, Michael, go ahead. You, you start on this, on this latest development. <clears throat> Mike. We talked with Charles Robinson yesterday about uh, Deshaun Watson and what we and just all the things that we don't know. And we can't paint yep. one side as winning and one side as losing. It's just these are two big time attorneys in Houston who have done uh, amazing things for their clients. I mean, Rusty Harden, if you look at his if you look at his list of clients and what his clients were accused of and what they were acquitted of, it's pretty impressive. Same thing. Uh, with Tony Busby. But one thing I don't like about the trial, uh, it's not even a trial yet. How about that? I, I even said trial, maybe because we were talking about oh, Derek Chauvin. You but. know what? But I, I, as 40, I'm, glad you, I'm glad you said that because it's yeah. kind of accurate. It's kind of accurate. Right. It, it's, one thing th I don't this like is, about This it. is now playing out in the court of public opinion. Yes. So I, I, I'm glad and you're And this right. is you're what, right about that. now generally, and I, I'm going to tell you, I don't like what, what Rusty Harden is doing in this case, and I don't like what Tony Busby is doing. This is what attorneys generally say. 
if they have a case, he said, look, I, I, I would just hope that you would listen to all the evidence, that you don't jump to any conclusions, don't, don't worry about the court of public opinion, forget about all the noise out there, let's just, let's focus on the facts, and we're confident if you focus on the facts that my client will blah, 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 et cetera, et cetera, except they're not doing that. You know, Tony Busby, you start off, and we, we start off with this thing when it was one or two accusers going to Instagram. But Rusty Harden has responded to everything that Tony Busby has done. And we just, it's, it's difficult to know what the real story is because you're getting some stories and then you're getting spin. And then you saw, uh, you didn't read it there, but Tony Busby said he's now uncomfortable after saying that he was mm-hmm. going to go to the Harris County police and, 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 and talk about this and his clients were going to perhaps file something with the police department. Now he's uncomfortable doing this because Rusty Harden's son is connected to the police department. Although he doesn't want to accuse the police department of doing anything under the table. I respect all police officers, but I'm, I'm now uncomfortable. So there's a lot of game playing Mm -hmm. happening here with both attorneys And the real issue, you've said this beautifully many times, the real issue is we're talking about whether sexual assault happened or not. That's the story. Well, and yeah, we've we've been doing uh, the wrong thing, which is centering the quarterback. Um, Today was, I think today was proof that Rusty Harden and Deshaun's defense team realize that they can no longer afford to play this game by traditional rules. They have to play yeah. it on Tony Busby's terms, which is playing it out in the court of public opinion. All they did today was match the accusations with character witnesses. Because right now, just as, just as the mounting, quote-unquote, evidence is simply accusations and nothing that the 21 uh, suits and 22nd account in Sports Illustrated, nothing that they said proves anything, nor does the 18 positive experiences prove anything either. That's like saying, well, he ain't never been racist to me, so he can't be racist. Or he ain't never hit me, so he can't be violent. Like, it doesn't mean that nothing inappropriate happened. Just like the accusations don't mean that Deshaun Watson is absolutely guilty. So we're back to square one in that we don't know what we don't know. So it really comes down to, is this going to see a courtroom? Is there going to be discovery? How's this thing going to be settled? If he's guilty, is there going to be retribution and accountability? Meanwhile, of less importance, is what's the league going to do um, when it comes to whether or not they feel like they need to intervene, sit him down, exemplist, suspension, so on and so forth. But ultimately, this really comes down to the truth. And if we could ever arrive at the truth, because if it's true, it's reprehensible, and it doesn't have to be 19 or 20. I'm sorry, 21 don't have to all be telling the truth. If it's one or two, right. it's problematic. Exactly. If it's, right. if it's fabricated, if it's fabricated, my almighty should be held to pay just the same. So these 18 do not cancel out those 19 in any way other than if you're predisposed to believing that Deshaun is innocent, then those 18 will support your opinion. If you thought he was guilty, you got 22 on your side. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. 
So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.